Studios. This, this is the award-winning After 9 with Scott and Kat. Powered by Tony Johal, broker at Remax Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. Ooh, hello. Hey now. Oh, hey, it's hump day. We're halfway to Super Bowl weekend. We're halfway to Valentine's weekend. Yeah. It's above zero again. This is great, Kat. And by the way, welcome to After 9, everybody. I'm going to do something today that I don't typically do. I'm going to offer a peace offering to Justin Trudeau. I'm going to tell Justin, as kind of like a retrospective on the last two years, exactly where he lost it. And by the way, it kind of seems like he's losing it, Kat. He's, it seems like he's going a little squirrely. Did you see his news conference yesterday? <laughs> this impromptu one? He was a hot mess in this one. Let me play about 15 seconds of Justin Trudeau yesterday trying to explain to you why mandates prevent restrictions. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a second, a mandate is a restriction. No, 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 no. Not in Justin's world. Listen to this. Canadians got vaccinated. And I can understand frustrations with mandates, but mandates are the way to avoid further restrictions or having to be restricted. As people get vaccinated, as Canadians have gotten vaccinated, we've been able to get to Canadian. Okay, so I I hear what he's trying. I think I know what he's trying to say there is that the vax passports, if we're talking about those, let's say, Mm -hmm. will help further spread, he believes. Well, I mean... And and that is what will get us further if we have less spread and we get closer to COVID zero, which we know COVID zero isn't really going to be an option. That's what he kind of means, but it's a little confusing. It's very confusing because yeah. it's almost like he doesn't acknowledge that his own mandates are a restriction. And that's what everyone is opposed to. Uh, a quick recap on what happened yesterday. The Quebec government is the biggest one so far to drop most of their COVID restrictions. Almost all the Quebec restrictions are going to be gone. They're leaving in place two of them, the indoor mask mandate and the vax passports. Quebec is going to stick with it, even though the World Health Organization has said drop it. And even though the scientists say they're completely useless and do more harm than good, they're going to keep it. But they're their own distinct society. I truly don't even care what goes on in Quebec Well, that's the thing. is, When it comes to Quebec, they've always been harsher on everything. So this shouldn't surprise you. I'm surprised that they even dropped some of the other restrictions. That's that's pretty crazy. Uh, You know, their premier, as much as I disagree with him on a lot of things, he's been very good at reading the room, at taking the temperature of the public. And like we've been saying for a long time the mood has changed and people are done we need to stop moaning when the cdc came out and said and acknowledged that the vaccines don't prevent transmission we had to pivot and and it's taken some time to get there and and speaking of taking their time don't you fucking worry doug we're gonna get to you in just a second fuck you doug But let's talk about the other provinces. So Quebec takes off a lot of the nonsense, the ones that really just irritate people. Most of those are gone. You'll just have to wear a mask indoors Mm -hmm. and you have to have proof of vax to go into places that require it. Okay. Then there's Saskatchewan. The Saskatchewan plan is the most aggressive in the country. Almost all restrictions will be off in Saskatchewan by the end of the month. Premier Scott Moe says starting Monday... No more vaccine passports. He says they were far too divisive mm-hmm. to justify against anything good that they may have done. Okay, here, here, yep. By the end of the month, no more indoor mask mandate in Saskatchewan. They're dropping the masks. They're dropping the vax passports. Wow. Now, wow. Al- Alberta is not quite going that far, but they are going faster. 
Yesterday, Jason Kenney came out and announced it's time. They're not effective. They're not recommended. We're going to get rid of the vaccine passports in a few hours. At midnight, they're gone. So now, if you're waking up today in Alberta, the Vax passport eliminated instantly. Okay. They were requiring it to go into non-essential businesses like restaurants and bars. They're also going to remove the mask mandate for kids under 12, including in schools, starting Monday. Including in schools. That's a big one. That's a huge one, Scott. I I get it. And and I know that there's going to be some parents, some parents who are thinking... Uh, it's Make not sure a good idea because sure. of the spread. Or and, teachers. And, and teachers, yeah. sure. You know, I, I think with uh, teachers, they wanted the N95s and they got them mm-hmm. and they wanted certain things and they got them. Um, I, I think for the kids, they're different though. I mean, the teachers, they have to protect themselves and hopefully they've got the PPE to do it. But when it comes to the kids, nothing has changed in two years. COVID was never particularly dangerous for kids and it still isn't. That's just the reality. So, I mean, we hear these province by province, it's happening. You mentioned it, who suggests these things anyway. We know eventually we're going to be sitting here on a podcast in the future, whether it's a week, two weeks, three weeks from now, saying, okay, guys, Vax passports are done. Let's just go with that one step at a time, right? So for me, they, they come in tears, right? For me, Vax passports, they can be done tomorrow I think that's great. Mask mandates are another thing that I'm like, I don't even know if I'm ready for that. But that, let's just talk the passports. We know inevitably we will follow suit. We will follow suit here in Ontario. When does that happen? We need to change our attitudes. You know, Kat, that's such a good question. And the premier of of lockdowns, Doug Ford. Yeah. Fuck you, Doug. <laughs> I don't know that he wants to give up the power. I know he really wants big election wins and he wants all of his people that he likes to get reelected and it probably scares the shit out of him that he's safe, but some of his ministers aren't. And Doug is turning this into exactly what the federal liberals called it a year ago, a political opportunity. And frankly, it's wildly irresponsible for Doug. This three weeks between steps, I don't know which one of those fucking doctors tried to talk him into that, but it's a mistake. And Doug, you should take the reins off right now. The next round of restrictions isn't supposed to be up until, is it February 21st, I think? Yeah, I mean, there's no harm in in doing it earlier. And you can go ahead and try to attempt to toot your own horn on it. You go ahead and you, you go ahead and shift it and make it seem like because of how good we're doing and the mandates I've already put in place, we can drop the Vax passports because I did it. You know what? I don't give a shit at this point. Say what you want to say. You, you know you're going to do that anyway. Just do it sooner. Yeah, Just do wh- it. Why are you dragging this out, Doug Ford? How much more do businesses need to suffer? Yeah. How much more do people need to suffer? How much more mental health has to go down the shitter before you're actually going to do what you know you're going to do? You just want to do it at a time that's a little more politically advantageous for yourself, Doug. Get off your ass. Get your ass in front of a camera. You're going to look into the camera and say, sorry, we were wrong. We can do this a lot faster than we originally thought. Drop them now. We need to stop moaning. You don't even have to say you're wrong. Like we You all should know. say he's we, wrong. Yeah, but we all know what's going on. He's not going to say it. Of course he's not. There's an election looming. Fine. You want to try to stick to, because of what I've done, we're able to do this. I don't give a shit. But at this point, just drop it. Well, they are going to announce today that they're giving out more rapid tests. And I mean, a couple of weeks late, I don't see nearly as much demand for them now because we've already learned yeah. a lot. So I don't know how much we spent on the Ontario procured ma- uh, rapid tests, but the deal is they're going to be available one per household. You get a pack of five and, and you can just go and get them at grocery stores and pharmacies. Do you remember when we said, uh, I believe it was in December? We don't need to create this distribution network for rapid tests where mm-hmm. we're ship them out, shipping them out to the goddamn liquor store and making people line up at three in the morning for 
uh, lineups at the mall what and a shit. gong show that was. What a fucking dumb idea. Yeah. We already have a distribution network. They're called pharmacies. We have distribution to every pharmacy in Ontario. So thank goodness that you finally, again, realized a good idea on its face. And you didn't even credit us, by the way, but you should. Yes, put them in pharmacies, put them in grocery stores. It makes perfect sense. It, well, to me, it is. And it is perfect sense because if you go in there looking for rapid tests, it's possible that you also have questions. And who better to ask? You're not going to ask an LCBO cash, cashier yeah. questions regarding the COVID-19 test. They're going to tell you to go fly a kite. And so they should. That's not their job. And that should have never been their job. But it's like they just rush to do dumb things. And I'm thinking, why don't you phone us? We'll tell you the right way he, to do it. Only that he, he just likes to jerk off the LCBO location, like the, the whole thing. He just likes to, it, there's something about that, you know, buck a beer, LCBO district. I don't know what it is. I know it's a money thing. It's probably mainly a money thing. Maybe it's a personal thing too, but I'm glad that it's going this route at least. And for those who don't get their hands on rapid tests, and it, by the way, it does seem very uneven. I know people who have copious amounts of rapid tests that barely use them. Oh yeah. And then there's people begging for it. They just want one test so that they can see a loved one or they feel comfortable going into work and they can't get their hands on them. So hopefully this will help. Well, you know, I, I did say it's time for Doug to trot his ass out in front of the cameras and and just end this shit right now before he does any more damage than he's already done. Maybe he's waiting for a few more businesses to go under or a few more people to get into a confrontation with the cops or something. I don't know what it is. Maybe he wants more gangs to form first, but Doug, stop screwing around and, and just get out there in front of the camera and Let's end this. Go. And, and I'm going to give you just a couple little tidbits of data here to back that up. Yesterday, the Canadian Mental Health Association said last year, one in four Ontarians had to seek mental health treatment because of how much they've declined. In fact, we've got just as bad a mental health problem in the past year as we had at the beginning of COVID, like when it first started and people thought the world was ending. So that's a problem. Then... Uh, Waterloo region, one of the bigger regions in Ontario, just put this out yesterday about the incredible, devastating impact on local health care because Doug decided it was a great idea to shut down non-essential surgeries or non-urgent surgeries. Well, now what are we going to do, Doug? Because there's a backlog just in Waterloo region of 11,000 patients waiting for surgeries. 11,000. Mm-hmm. We mentioned that on our radio show today. Within seconds, we got text messages. And, and I don't even know if these are counted in the 11,000, but people that can't get in for radiation and biopsies and yeah. chemo treatments. Yeah. yeah. Where are the, and the, uh, what, what have we said? And I've said this so many times that it angers me. It angers me. We see these numbers for COVID, COVID numbers, hospitalization numbers. Here's the numbers, 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 numbers. Give me those numbers. Publish more of those numbers. Tell me how this is affecting people's mental health. Let me see those astounding amount of people waiting for surgeries that, sure, you might not call them urgent. They might not be flagged as emergency or urgent, but you're damn right those will save lives. Yeah. So don't tell me they won't. Those are numbers we need to know. The mental health thing, that worries the shit out of me, especially when you see the amount of young people, you know, under the age of 18 that are seeking that are seeking help. And those are just the ones that are seeking help. Yeah. There are plenty more out there that need it that aren't seeking it. Mm-hmm. So if you're telling me those are numbers, let's publish these more often because maybe that will let it click. Something needs to click, you know, because so far it's not working. Stop fucking around, Doug. Get out there and do the right thing. Get this taken care of. You need to lift these restrictions. You need to end the mandates. You need to get the hospitals doing what they do so well. Again, do it. Uh, I Let's give you a little more data here. The Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers 
says several grocers across the country are now expressing serious concerns about the surge in shoplifting of food and Mm -hmm. pharmacy items. Mm -hmm. A spokesperson says data on the issue is somewhat lacking because retailers will often just tell a suspect to leave and not involve the police. So this is only just based on the police-involved calls. But industry experts say meat is the number one thing that's being stolen, followed by cheese, followed by over-the-counter medicine. And because of face masks, it's making it more and more difficult to identify these shoplifters. I don't blame people. They're desperate. I mean, this is what you caused here, Doug. There are so many people that are so desperate to put food on the table. This is partially your fault. Yeah, I've been a member of a lot of Facebook community groups for a long time, for years You know, some of them are just like uh, local community. Uh, Then there's a city group. And then there's plenty of moms groups and things like that. I like to keep track of what's going on in my community just by looking at these posts. And the amount of posts, Scott, from people who are usually remain anonymous, they'll just be called a group member, just asking for someone to help them out with bread, bologna, Mm -hmm. and cheese. I can't get through the week. I need to feed my kid. Please, can you help me with a loaf of bread and this and that? And thankfully, I mean, I see it all the time. People reaching out for help. DM me. I'll send you, uh, I'll send a shipment of something your way. I will drop it off at your front porch. No questions asked. Send DM them an Instacart. Me, whatever it is. I'll send you a gift card for a grocery store, whatever you need. I've got you. I see so many of those at least three times a week from people who need the assistance. So the shoplifting thing, it doesn't surprise me. You know, I, I feel bad. And yes, of course, stealing is stealing. And people will say, that's not right. But I also feel for those people. They're not stealing. If they're stealing those just cheese, meat, whatever, they just want to feed their family and they can't get by. I almost don't think we should prosecute them. Yeah. You know, if you got that desperate, you're a law-abiding citizen who's done everything right and you just, yeah. because through no fault of your own, other than Doug told you two weeks to flatten the curve and we're at two years later, if through no fault of your own, you're in that situation where it's either break the law or starve, I, I see where people are coming yeah, from. And food banks can only do so much. It's sure. unfortunate. And, and, and other hampers and other helpers. I know there's a lot of different community supports, depending on where you live. You probably know of a few of them. You probably help to donate. They they find it hard keeping up, especially with the, with the fresh stuff, right? Because not everybody can eat a can of something every single day. It's just, it's, it's worrisome to me. It's troublesome. It's worrisome. I don't like it. It's horrible is what it is. And this was all avoidable if someone had just had an ounce of common sense at Queens Park and a backbone to be able to say, no, this is not just about COVID. But I did say that I'm going to talk about Justin Trudeau and where he lost the room, where Justin started to come off the rails. Before I do that, this will be the latest example of it. Yesterday, everyone was caught completely off guard by a little-known in Ontario member of parliament named Joel Liebound. I think that's how you say it. He's the chair of the federal liberals' Quebec caucus. They say he's a rising star in Quebec politics. Man, did his stock ever go up yesterday. He called a news conference, and I think the media wasn't even fully prepared for what was going to happen. Generally, if just some backbencher from Quebec calls a news conference, you don't get a whole lot of the English media even showing up to it, let alone engaged in it. This video went crazy. I'm going to play just a little bit of it if you happen to not hear it. But this is a Quebec MP, a colleague and friend of Justin Trudeau's, who's flat out admitting that his boss is wrong. He could lose his job. He could lose his seat as a member of government for doing this. 
but he wanted to be truthful. And it's so refreshing. Listen to him. That we can't go back to lockdowns and restrictions not supported by science. They're confused when they hear Dr. Tam state last week that all existing public health policies, including vaccine passports, need to be re-examined and that we need to have longer-term, sustained approaches and capacity building so we're not in crisis mode all the time as we fight this virus. They're confused when they see the undeniable trend around the world whereby, for instance, the World Health Organization recently recommended dropping or alleviating many border measures, including vaccine requirements, as they've proven to be ineffective in fighting the propagation of the Omicron variant. That's the World Health Organization. They're confused when they see countries around the world like Ireland, Sweden, Norway, Switzerland, the Czech Republic, Israel, Denmark, Spain, and the UK, who have either dropped almost all restrictions or are fast moving in that direction. All countries, I note, with lower vaccination rates than us. Now, while folks are hearing and seeing all of this, they're left rightfully wondering, where the hell are we heading here in Canada? I think there lies the frustration. They feel there is no appetite from our government to adapt so as to reflect the changing data and the changing reality of the pandemic and of the world. They're worried that measures which ought to be exceptional and limited in time are being normalized with no end in sight, like vaccine passports, mandates, and requirements for travelers. They're worried because they feel, they feel it is becoming harder and harder to know where public health stops and where politics begins. I wish I had an applause button in this studio. <laughs> Holy shit. What a refreshing thing to hear. Not from one of those wild, redneck, crazy, alt-right conservative politicians. Not from one of those crazy left-wing COVID-0 nut jobs in the NDP. This is a member of the government. This is a member of parliament in Justin Trudeau's caucus. And, and let's, let's be very clear here. He knew what was at stake. He knew. He saw what happened to Jody Wilson-Raybould. He saw what happened to Jane Philpott. He's seen other politicians that tried to stand up to the Supreme Leader. They're gone. And he very well could have been gone too. He has lost his seat as, sorry, his position as chair of the Quebec caucus in the Liberal Party, but he is still a sitting member of parliament. He says he still has confidence in his government, but something has to change. He says Justin Trudeau is intentionally inflaming this for political gain. He says the restrictions that we have in place don't make sense. So if you're one of those people who thought, you know, I go with the government line on this because they're the government and everything else is just a conspiracy theory. I'm going to trust my trusted source, which is the government headed by Justin Trudeau. Well, there's one of Trudeau's own people saying Trudeau's lost the plot. Trudeau has lost the script. He's out of touch. He doesn't know how to not inflame. He doesn't know how to unite. He only wants to divide, and he's using COVID as the political opportunity, as foreshadowed by Christian Freeland just a year ago. Is there some fallout that's going to take place from this? This just happened yesterday, I assume, right? You said? Well, Justin is, he's at a, he's, I almost feel bad for the guy. I mean, he made his bed and he does have to lie in it, but Justin was so hellbent on jabbing every single person and thing in this country that he lost the plot. 
he stopped following the science. The science is very clear. Who is it we're supposed to listen to? Dr. Teresa Tam. Just last week, she acknowledged it's time to rethink everything, including the Vax passports, because she knows enough damage has been done. Doug knows enough damage has been done, although he hasn't actually done anything about it. If you want a real leader, you look to Scott Moe in Saskatchewan, maybe to Jason Kenney in Alberta. Those are leaders who have said, Mm -hmm. our people, the ones that employ us, are done, and they're right because the science agrees with the people now, not with government, and they had the courage to take a stand. You know, and just like we talked about with our provincial mandates, you know, stuff's going to change eventually. So what's his angle going to be when that does happen, right? He's going to he's going to shift it and that's what politics are all about. You're going to shift it and move it around and make it seem like because of me, this is what's happening. Like listen, listen to the science. you've said from the beginning, listen to the science. And of course we all should. Like just I don't, it just frustrates me. It just really frustrates me. I'm going to give you 60 seconds now of this Liberal MP from yesterday. Now, I firmly believe governments would do well not to dismiss these legitimate concerns and not to demonize those who voice them. To the contrary, I believe these concerns need to be addressed head on. And here are some ways I humbly submit we could go about it. First, I believe the government should provide quickly a roadmap with clear and measurable targets to lift all restrictions within its purview. To be clear, I do not necessarily believe that all measures should be lifted immediately, but I do believe that we must have a clear and measurable benchmark for when measures will be lifted. For instance, at what point can we lift restrictions while respecting the capacity of the province's healthcare systems? Second, I believe that if more and more Canadians find it hard to comply with the restrictions, it's not because they lack solidarity. It's because increasingly Canadians don't understand the measures, and they don't understand them because governments no longer care to explain them. How true is that? How many times have we had to ask, why are you doing that? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't follow the science. And they don't explain it anymore. Back at the beginning, we we had our daily news conference and our briefing, and they would come out and say, we're going to do this, and here's why we're going to do it. And whether they were right or wrong, we were all scared and just believed them. Mm-hmm. Well, now we've all learned a lot. We're more empowered as a people. Sure we are. And one of the best things that I think came out of what he said yesterday, the divide is real. It's horrible what's happening to society right now. And it happened because of those mandates. That's where it happened. And if we can stop shouting down anyone who you disagree with, that would go a long way. When somebody comes out like we, well, I did a few minutes ago and says, it's time to end these mandates right now. In the past, I'd be labeled an anti-vaxxer. I'd probably be labeled a racist, definitely a misogynist, definitely anti-health care, definitely a right-wing nut. That's what they would have called me. That's the majority of the country now. The majority of the country doesn't agree on anything except it's time to end these mandates. It's time to end these measures. Mm-hmm. And Justin Trudeau is the only one still doing it. I don't get it. It's going to happen eventually. Just do it. You can't do it now because you look bad, right? And then you, you, you refuse to look bad. So if you were a member, a prominent member of the, the government there, like uh, Joel here isn't, but... Let's say you're Christian Freeland, 
Anita Anand, Bill Blair, Marco Mendicino. At what point do you guys all get together and say, we're really, really, really on the wrong side of this now? We went from heroes to zeros. Mm -hmm. At what, who's going to pull Justin aside and say, dude, you got to chill with this rhetoric and dude, you've got to change this. Do any of them have the courage to go to Justin and say, listen, let's have an off the record chat, just you and I, a heart to heart. The country wants this. Dr. Tam says it's time. The World Health Organization says it's time. You've got to let go. You've got to stop. Justin is like that parent who drops their kid off at kindergarten for the first day and can't pull out of the parking lot. You've got to let go, Justin. It's time to let the country go. Or, frankly, you can go. Maybe that's a conversation we should be having. Maybe those are conversations that are happening right now behind the scenes. We don't know. Hey, they very well could be, Kat. They very well could be. If you're someone who aspires to be Prime Minister of Canada and you belong to the Liberal Party of Canada, there has never been a better time to start asking your colleagues, what do you think? Is it time to start uh, making some moves? Because it's absolutely time to start making some moves. Um, I, I said I would talk about where the turning point was where Justin lost the plot, where he lost control over this. And I'm going to go back to September of 2021, four or five months ago, after we'd just gone through that horribly divisive election, where right then and there, Justin was really stoking the flames. You were either on his side as one of his voters or you were an anti-vaxxer. That's how he did it. He He labeled you a radical if you were unvaxxed or if you dared to question him in this. And it was right after that election when Justin Trudeau came out and said, or he had one of his ministers do it, I think it was Carla fucking Qualtro or whatever her name is, the the former, I, I think she's still the minister of whatever. Useless, one by of the, the way. ministers. Just absolutely <laughs> appalling. Minister of uselessness? That she is in. Uh. Yeah, I don't, I'm not familiar with her, but all right. So anyway. When and this is where you lost the script, Justin, this is where it went wrong. It wasn't just the election. When you came out and said, we're imposing these mandates. If you don't comply and get vaccinated, you will lose your job and you'll be denied EI. It was something that got some people angry. Other people that were vaxxed were kind of like, oh, oh, yeah. That's where regular Canadians, even the ones who are fully vaccinated, stopped for a second and thought, wait a second. Right. This is not what I signed up for. That's where I lost it. That's where I said, I'm not, I'm not going to be part of that. Yeah. I haven't got a booster shot just in case that shit tries to continue. I haven't got one because I know that once I do get one, I'm part of the problem when guys like Justin Trudeau try and bully people, either get a shot or you will not get EI when you get fired. The booster is one thing I would love to get like a good tally on or a good poll on where we actually have enough people and enough evidence to show it. But I feel like a lot of people are in that boat where they're not, they're, they're, they're totally pro, hey, I get my vaccine, I want to feel better. Uh, it does show that it'll, if I do catch COVID, less likely to be serious, blah, blah, blah. I want to protect those around me. But they're refusing the booster for those reasons. And if the these mandates lift, then they might get the booster. And I find that interesting because they don't want to do it for those reasons. They don't want to be another number on the sheet. Like, look how many people got the booster here. They don't want to up that number, which is similar to your position, right? Yeah. And, and my, I mean myself too. I haven't, I haven't had mine yet either. But 
I think that, that there's a lot of people in that boat. You take away the mandates and I'll get my booster. There's the deal that I'm offering it, you, Doug and it, Justin. Which is literally the opposite of what they're trying to go for here. But they don't understand yeah, that. They're so that's what I mean. They, they're getting capable. They need to see those numbers maybe of people saying, I'll get it. Lift that shit and I'll get it. Yeah, you stop trying to stand on my throat and force it into me. Right. You guys back off a little bit. And again, this is something we talked about in December. Yeah. But you guys back off and then I'll yeah. I'll make a decision for myself and when I think it's necessary. And we all should make decisions for ourselves. And those boosted, they got boosted for those for the reasons of protection. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the science is there. I'm not saying don't get it. And we never have said don't get it. No. It's it's the it's the mandate and the handcuffing and the finger pointing. That I'm not a big fan of either. Not a big fan of that. That's where Justin went wrong. When he tried to deny taxpaying, law-abiding citizens their unemployment insu- or their employment insurance, when he tried to cut them out of the social safety net, out of pure hatred, I truly believe Justin hates people that are not vaccinated. I think he despises them. When he sees those truckers. He doesn't see Canadians. He doesn't see taxpayers. He doesn't see voters. All he sees is red. He hates them because they dare oppose him. And that is one of the most telltale signs of a narcissist. You dare disagree with me? You're a piece of shit. We're going to cut you off. Nothing. That's how we're going to screw you. And it's that's the prime minister of a G7 country. He's got to go, Cat. He's really got to go. I mean, somebody's got to pull this guy aside and either shape him up or tell him to ship out. Something's got to happen there. Uh, a couple other... Th- let me make note here. If I don't mark down the time when I'm posting the podcast, I can't remember where the break was. <laughs> and sometimes you'll hear commercials in the podcast. We have no idea if there's going to be a commercial or not. They just sort of pop in when we tell them to play. We have to tell them good times where, okay, it might be a good idea to do it here. So I feel like that was a good time for a commercial. Now, here's what you can rest assured of. If you just heard a commercial, company's doing well. If you didn't just hear a commercial... Nobody sold a commercial for After 9. There's an advertising opportunity for you right there on the Curious Cast podcast We network. could be talking about your business right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, we could. I mean, we're we open could. to No, that's true. And by the way, since we are in a little bit of a break here, reminder that we have a voicemail. We've had a couple of voicemails that we haven't played yet, and maybe we'll get to a day where we play a few in a row. But if you ever want to reach out to us about something we're talking about, you have something to add, something, a question? I don't know. It can be personal and we'll keep you totally anonymous. Of course, Uh, you can be anonymous. You have a question. You have something, a topic you want us to talk about. By all means, the podcast uh, voicemail number is 519-772-4443. The expert panel on Housing Cat has come back with their conclusion. It didn't even take them long. And it's very reflective in their work. (laughs) Remember when the government convened that panel of, hey, hey, we got to do something about the price of housing. Well, that expert panel went and they did the hard work. They put out a series of, I believe it's 22 recommendations. The overall theme from the housing task force on how we solve the affordability housing problem is we need to build more houses. uh, Jesus, guys. Really? Bunch of Captain Obviouses. No shit, we need to build more houses. Of course we need to build more houses. Specifically, specifically more affordable housing. Was that at least stressed? Like I'm talking about, you know, condominiums and things that maybe would make it a little more, uh, a little easier for people to afford. Or was this just like, we build more home. We build home soon. We help. (laughs) (laughs) Duh. 
Maybe they think they can just give some extra funding to like Habitat for Humanity and we'll all of a sudden have new subdivisions aye, popping aye, up aye, everywhere. So that's it, eh? At the end of that, that's what they get. What about now, though? Because you can't build a house in a day and everybody knows that. You go to a home builder, you, you can't even be guaranteed that's going to be your date. In fact, chances are it's going to be months from that date. Yeah. So how do we help now? Because from what I can see, based on those community groups I spoke of for another topic, there's a lot of people in need of affordable housing now. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, the... Uh, uh, oh, fuck. Okay, so here's what we can do. This report, it, it focuses on red tape and approvals, and, and they want municipalities to fast-track things, and that's all well and good. Good, good fine. That's good. Good to hear. You know, there's some certain things that they could do sooner than later that would really have an impact, whether it be reforming things at the CMHC, because the amount of money that you have to put down to get into that house is still way too unattainable. There's people in their 20s and even 30s right now that are staring up the the prices here. Okay, you can get a semi-detached house for $750,000 in Cambridge. That's true. The down payment you have to put on that to avoid the CMHC fee is astronomical. And if you don't have that, but you're close, then the CMHC yeah. fee makes it even more unaffordable. I find it interesting, too. They tout the RRSP like, oh, new homeowner RRSP. Don't worry about it. Just take that money from your RRSP. A lot of people can't even afford to put money into an RRSP. How yes. do you figure? How do you figure that's even happening? And part of the reason for that is because the prices are already yes. too high. So listen, if they could introduce some reforms there, if we could just have the municipalities maybe look the other way on a few basement apartments that aren't necessarily up to code, that's, that's that what would I would solve mention. a problem. That's what I would mention. There's a lot of people out there that have a home with a basement that's totally livable for a family, for yep. example, a family of three, four, even one person. Mm-hmm. That helps. They want to do it. There's too much red tape there and too many things you have to jump through. Holy crap. I've, I read about them. I skimmed through them, albeit, but... A friend of mine wanted to do it, and she was like, don't have that, can't do that, can't do that, so I don't meet the requirements. But how lovely would it be for her to be able to give somebody the opportunity to live there more affordably? That's helpful, you know, so they can save up money to get that home when they want to be a homeowner. All those things in rental help for future homeowners, too. Sure. They absolutely do. We do need more supply. And part of the reason that there's not as much supply right now as we would like is there's a lot of people that have a secondary property that they're renting out. That's fine. If you're renting it out and truly following the rules, you're not trying to rent evict people with loopholes just so that you can yeah. raise the rent on the next poor bastard that comes in there. That sort of stuff I have no time for. But if you're just a legitimate landlord, then you're letting somebody else pay down your mortgage. Okay, well, that's good for two people. I mean, hey, if you don't have the down payment, you probably have to rent. If you've got a secondary property, yeah, you can have somebody rent it and it basically pays itself off. So that's fine. But there's also a lot of other people that have that second home that don't necessarily want to rent it out. And they actually would be opposed or would be open to selling it. But the capital gains right now, especially with the market as hot as it is, are terrible. Why don't you give people a six-month break on capital gains and pump a whole ton of new houses into the market? Mm -hmm. Can we do that for a bit, guys? Can we talk about that? There's a lot of different things that they could have done soon to try and spread this out. If you want to, uh, uh, and by the way, all the new houses they build, they're not just going in to build subdivisions. Those take a long time. Mm-hmm. They're going to put up condos. Condos are a good way for people sure. to get into the market. Sure. You don't have to buy that million dollar detached home. You can go and buy, uh, well, you used to be able to get condos for under 200 grand here in the region. Now they're triple that price. Yeah, they are. You know, I mean, more of those 
sure that'll help, but they got to get built quick and you've got to regulate somewhat when they go on sale. I.e., if you're going to take advantage of tax breaks and incentives to build it quickly, then you also have to abide by here's your starting price or tell us what your cost is plus 5%. That's what you can start selling these units at for new resale. That's up to the market, but new we can control that. I believe they've made changes to this already. Let me know. If not, our buddy Tony Johal, he's great with these kind of questions. I always have random questions when we discuss things like this. Maybe we'll get him on the podcast again to talk about it. If you guys have any questions, we certainly can. My question for him would be, if I'm not mistaken, because what I saw a lot at one point I remember was, so let's say a condo development, great example, is up is up for sale. Oh, guys, here we go. Units open. Oh, half of it's been sold to realtors who are going to rent it out. Yep. Now, if I'm not mistaken, they have made some changes to make that harder to happen, right? Because it's so easy for some people with money to come along and do that. And then they buy up all these homes. And these people who would like to be able to get into the market can't do it because they're restricted by uh, maybe it's groups, realtor groups. Maybe they I don't know what the case is, but I remember that being an issue, too. You know, there's a lot of different ways that people are regulated, and I do not like government regulations at all. However, we're in a bit of a bind here right now when it comes to affordability. Maybe the restriction is to prevent people, those real estate speculators, from doing stuff like that. There's also a lot of foreign investment. There's people who've never even been to Canada buying up properties like their their video games and just making a fortune renting them out. Uh, Maybe we have to get into a situation where in any given market or in any given province, you can own one detached, one semi, one condo. And that's the extent of your real estate, uh, your your residential real estate holdings. Yeah, I mean, sure. Something like that could work, even if it's something that's put in place uh, as a temporary measure and then it gets lifted when things ease up a little bit. If they do, like some areas are so hot, it's hard to be able to just lift that because it, it the, it's in demand constantly. The yep. GTA being one of them. But now there's other areas like the one that we're broadcasting from, Kitchener-Waterloo. It's insanity here right now. It's it's where a lot of people are coming here. And there's other areas too where it's hot. But that's that's not a bad idea either. I just don't like the greediness surrounding it. It, it, it bothers me. And I understand making money is making money, but there's, there's a lot of greed that takes over and doesn't allow people to get those opportunities to enter the market too. I'm very... Um reluctant to suggest that they put restrictions on the actual purchase and sale of a home. Because I think that if I own a home, I get to sell that however I want to sell it. And I'm entitled to make as much money as I want to, or as I'm entitled to off of that home. That's just the way markets work. And I get it's not fair for some people who want to get into the market and can't afford it. I don't think there's a way we can suggest it. How do we do it? Cap it over a certain percentage? You can't do that. No, but what I do think we could do, and this is another thing that would probably help, is if you're going to put your house up for sale, sell it however you want. You want to have an auction? Fine. You want blind bidding? Fine. That's no problem. But your asking price is your asking price. If you list your house for $1 million and you say, that's what I want for my home, okay. If somebody comes to you and offers you a $1 million with no conditions, it's a deal. None of this, oh, actually, I really wanted 1.2. I just listed it for one to try and create bidding wars. Part of the problem here is these blind bidding wars. And if someone were bound by it, when you list your home for a price, if somebody's willing to pay that price, it's a deal. That's all there is to it. I don't know. I I, I don't necessarily agree with you on that one. I think that is a tactic. And if that's the way you want to approach it, fine. If you have a good realtor on your side as a home, as someone who wishes to purchase that home, they'll give you the heads up and say, it's going for a million. We know it's going to go for over. 
offer. So in your mind, know that. Don't look for homes at a million if that's as best as you can get. No, no, or no. Or as no. best as you can go. I just went through this process and it was painstaking. I looked at a lot of houses and one of the things yeah. that I learned very quickly is if it says it's listed for nine ninety nine. They actually want about 1.4 million. Sure they do. And that's so misleading and so unfair and such a waste of everybody's time. Hey, listen, if you do get into a situation where two people are here with a $1 million offer, okay, fine. There's going to be something there that we have to figure out. But if you want a million dollars for your home, sell it for a million dollars. List it for a million dollars. That's the benefit of the homeowner, though. And you just said that you have the right to sell your home however you want. That would be a way that some people would want to sell their home. And I think that that's totally fair. Don't bother bidding if you don't think it's going to go for that $999.99 or whatever the hell it's listed for. You don't see a problem in that. What if we went to, uh, I don't know, uh, the grocery store and steaks are... uh, $10.99 Ten ninety nine a pound or something like that. Uh, what if you got up to the till and they said, "Oh, you really want it?" Don't bid eh? on meat. But this apples is- to oranges. Homes are different. No, 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 no. Purchases is the commonality there. And if you are listing your home, you do have every right to list it however you want. And it, like I said, if you want to have an yeah. auction on the street, everybody come get on the lawn and give us your best price. You can do that if you want to uh, do whatever. Fine. Just How- make it clear is your argument. Is that your argument? Is that on, uh, when you look at that listing online, make it clear that it's going for this. We're uh, accepting bids on Friday. So you know there's going to be a shit ton of bids. Is that okay to you? No, no. What I'm proposing is if you want to sell your home, there's two options. You either list it at make me an offer or you list it at the price you want for it. If you know, and your realtor does, if you have a good realtor, they know how much homes in your area are worth. And they can tell you right now, based on the current market trends, you're going to get, say, a million dollars for this home. Listing that home for $6.99 is unfair. It's not fair to the market. It's not fair to the people. It's not fair to the realtors. But anyone with a good realtor. But hold on a second. If you want a million dollars for your home, that's what you're willing to sell it for. If... You want to take your chances and go at 1.2? Then sell it for 1.2. List it at 1.2. But if you ask a million, and I give you a million, you can't turn around and say, no, that's the deal. No, there's more people behind you that want it. So what happens there? There's more people. That's, the demand is the demand. So that's exactly why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. and you if know I, that's the way it goes. Then it's first come, first serve. If I have... <laughs> No, if I can't. You're dreaming. Cat. First come, first serve, but the next person behind you is willing to do 1.1? That, and you think that'll be totally fine? Okay, yeah, y'all do, you were first. But it's you're, fine. You're contradicting yourself. You just said that if it's worth 1.1, you know it's worth 1.1, and you're hoping to get 1.1. Yeah, but it's one, a tactic. I'm okay you, with tactics. You don't list it for eight. Listen, if you want one, and this is where the fairness part comes in, and this is where the fairness to the buyers comes in, because nobody cares about the buyers, right? We need them because you want to be able to sell your home, but you don't really give, give a shit if they get screwed. If you sell them a house and they didn't get an inspection and it turns out the furnace doesn't work, that sort of shit happens to buyers and nobody cares about them. But if the house is worth 1.1 based on the current market conditions and you expect to get 1.1, if you're not going to let it go for less than 1.1, then ask 1.1. Because if you ask 699 and I come there right away oh, with that's... an offer for 699, it's my house. I bought it unconditional of course if there's conditions that's a different game but since so many offers are going through right now with no conditions no financing no home inspection nothing if you want 1.1 and that's what you'll take as a minimum if i offer you one one we have a deal 
If there's two people offering 1.1, okay, then it can come down to whoever has the nicer car, whoever has a shirt that you like. doesn't matter. But your asking price is your asking price. And if I meet your asking price, we have a deal. And if you want to hold offers, you can do that. Yeah. But 1.1 is 1.1. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. But I hear I hear what you're saying, and it's unfair when you when you are looking for it or you feel like it's unfair. But again, if you have a good realtor on your side who knows the strategies and understands where they're coming from, and all you have to do to be when you're a good realtor is look at that and say, we know that's not going to go for this much. Let me give you a good idea of what it is going to go for. See if that's realistic to you or not. Let me spin you it. Don't, you don't have to do all the paperwork and sign everything up when you know you're not going to get it. When you're coming in at $6.99 knowing that there's going to be 50 people behind you going for over a million. It's just common. Like it's common sense. That's a strategy. Move on. If you see that and that offends you, don't put a, don't put an offer in on the home, but the homeowner has every right to do whatever they want to do. And if that's create a bidding war, that's create a bidding war and may the best person win. That's fair. I own that house. I own that house. I can sell it for what I want to sell it for. I can list it for what I want to list it for. Obviously you hope that you listen Nothing to your real changing. Nothing is changing about what you just said. Everything you said still works with this. Everything. The bottom line is, if you want a million dollars, you can... I don't understand what you're asking for then. What's, I, what's wrong with what's happening? Uh, if I go to your home and you're, hub, you're having a... Uh, I, it's on the market and I've booked an appointment and I'm there with my realtor and it's listed for a million dollars. If I offer you a million dollars, we have a deal. You can't turn around and say... I actually wanted 1.2. I'll wait until another offer comes I'm holding comes for in. more offers because I probably will get someone to come along and give me more. That's my choice. That's my option. That subtle change, if you priced your house fairly, would actually have a big impact because right now there's way too many people that are getting way too hot because the market is so misleading. Everything sure is misleading is. about it. Sure it is. So this is why if the realtor figures you can get 1.3 and you list it, for nine ninety nine, hoping to get to the one three. No, you list it for one three. Well, it's a strategy, and it's a strategy that could absolutely backfire. It's a strategy. It's anything's a risk. So you can risk losing people because because they're pissed off that you wanted one point three, but you listed for one, and there was only one person that came along. That's your choice. You want to hold. I had a neighbor who did that, whose house was for sale for like six months because they were waiting for a certain number. Apparently, they got multiple offers, but it wasn't the number they actually wanted. Okay. Well, you're stuck with that house then. Good for that's your choice. You're sitting in that house because you're waiting on an offer that eventually did come. It took six months, but it eventually did come for the exact amount of money that you wanted. It wasn't listed for that price. That's his choice. Like I don't know, we all have options here, and if it's your house, it's your choice. The, I, I just don't think that there's like sure you can. I understand that it's not a perfect. Right now, what's happening? It's not a perfect market anywhere. It sucks. It's unfair for some people. But uh, but it, there's not much you can do. <laughs> you can't force that person to list it and have to accept that price. That's not how it works. If I sell you something and you want it, let's make it a bed on Craigslist. Hey, look at this. I got a fucking oh, don't get me started with that queen shit. size bed available yeah. here. I want a thousand dollars for the bed. If you offer me a thousand dollars, I can't say, "Oh, you want it, eh?" One, uh, no, oh, it'll be twelve hundred bucks. But that's the thing, Scott. You can, and that does happen. People are fucking pricks when it comes to stuff they own. If you're trying to sell or you're trying to buy something online, all you have to do is experience it to know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That's what people do. They haggle. I, I once sold something, had someone come to the door. We agreed on it via text, and then said to me, "Oh no, twenty bucks less," for no fucking reason. People can do it that way. People can do it the other way around. I could have said. 20 bucks more. That sucks. That's unfair. You're kind of a prick. 
Yeah. But that's what happens. You can't make it illegal to do that. So I don't know what you're expecting from that is what, what I mean. I think it's a I'm, non-starter. I'm trying to point out to you the unfairness of... I a, agree it's unfair. Don't I, get me wrong. I agree with you that it's unfair. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's not right, but it's the way the world goes. Well, as I understand it, the panel that examines these things is actually considering making that one of the formal recommendations to cool the housing market so that people can't exploit the fact that there's a serious lack of supply. And that's what they're doing. And... It's also unfair to a lot of people, of course, and it's also uh, uh, really creating some false numbers in the real estate market. The whole thing is a house of cards. Now, I don't think there's many people out there that actually think it'll fall, but there's uh, a lot of uncertainty there, and a lot of it is just fueled by speculation. I think they could do a lot if they would just tell people, or sorry, require people to set their asking price and stick to it. If, uh, do we have time? Nah, fuck, we're out of time. Shit. Okay, just quickly here. Did you know you're buttering your bread wrong? No, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a TikTok thing. Yeah, of course it is. You didn't even, I knew that already. But <laughs> there might be something to it. What they're suggesting is you shouldn't dip your knife into the butter and then just spread it all over your bread. What they're saying, the polite thing to do is take your butter, uh, take your knife, dip it in the butter, and then scrape that butter onto your plate. The bread then makes contact with the butter on your plate. That's the more civilized way than just sticking your knife in the dish and spreading it all over the fucking place. So you're supposed to rub your bread into this pile of butter you've put on your plate? Rub, dip, however you want to do it. Oh. I mean, there's lots of ways. Okay. They say Super Bowl, Super Bowl gambling is going to reach record levels this year. Is that people trying to earn some money or is that people that are trying to uh, take advantage of the fact that it's there's an underdog in yeah. this game, like a serious underdog, but one that's not unrealistic that they could win. Cincinnati could win this, even though L.A. is favored. So if you bet on Cincinnati and they win, you could actually earn more. Yeah, there's probably a mix of reasons why this year in particular is probably there's a lot more interest for those for that reason, I guess, because it's an underdog and you do have a team that's. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of people that live in that a particular area, you might know, that are probably going to have go ahead and place their bets. Why not? There's a better chance that your date will end in sex if it's the woman who initiates the date. They, they asked 20,000 college students to try and get a better idea of what's going on in the dating scene these days. And when they added it all up, even though men ask women out 86% of the time, when the woman asks the man out, 65% of the time it ends in the bedroom. So guys, you just got to okay. wait a little bit. You so, just got to wait them out. Wait till they ask you. Obvious, this is obvious, but this is just a, for heterosexual couples only. Yeah, they don't usually ask for same sex, even though I wish they would, because it'd be interesting to know these numbers. I would love to know the numbers on everything, because then, okay, but okay, when it comes to this, I feel like, yeah, you feel a little empowered when you ask somebody out. And I think man or woman, no matter what you're, who you're asking out, you do feel that empowerment. And maybe going into the date, it makes you more empowered too, right? Like, I'd like to go out with you. For uh, whatever, a coffee or a late night drink. Let's do that. And you feel like, yeah, you probably feel pretty good. And because it is and has been so traditional that in these in these heterosexual relationships that a man has to ask a woman or I shouldn't say has to, but that's how it's happened. There's no empowerment there on on her side. Maybe she would have liked to ask him. Maybe she's whatever it is. But I, I feel like that's probably it. You feel a little more empowered. Like, yes, I fucking did that. And I wanted to date you. And now and let's face it. Women tend to have a lot of control. When it comes to that, right? I mean, they can give a glance, say something, say one word or two words, and you know, okay, it's it's a go. It's and it really is up to 
her because guys are you guys are you get like men are easy you know like men are pretty easy for the most part yeah absolutely <laughs> like, right? and, and if sex is on it, the table we're not, gonna comply like a dog waiting for a treat it's not difficult for a woman to get a man in bed maybe vice versa it can, it can be more difficult or you don't feel you don't want to be non-gentlemanly and ask for that and finally i love older pubs they have some culture some history and I, I i love everything about them my favorite pub in the world is called the world's end pub and it's in edinburgh scotland just off the royal mile cool love it i've been there many times and it's great but it's not as old as this over in the uk another casualty of the pandemic the ye old fighting cocks bar <laughs> Which does have a giant uh, rooster statue in front. Opened up in the year 793. This is 2022. It opened up in 793. This is a bar that's 1,229 years old. Oh my gosh. The owners say they've been struggling for a while. <laughs> they couldn't make it through the pandemic. They're shutting her down after 1,229 mm. years in business. That's insanity. What can can someone come along and buy this? Do you want a place Anything? that's called Ye Old Fighting well, Cocks? We can work on a name. We can work on a name, a new name. Give it a little refresh. You know, if you open up a brand new business, you can't call it Ye Old. I don't think that's allowed. There must be some sort of a rule, and it's probably in the new real estate rules. But if you have a bar or somewhere that's been open for a while, eventually you could call it. Ye old. This place has been around for over 1,200 years. At what point did they decide, you know what, let's call it ye old fighting cocks instead of just <laughs> calling it fighting cocks? <laughs> uh, ye old? Nobody wants to pitch you ye old fighting cocks. How about some new fighting cocks? How about, <laughs> how about ye new fighting cocks? Well, they say it looks like a local brewery in the UK might try and take over this building because it's historical. That's the thing is that's the history, right? It's the history you want to hang on to. We all know names change and ownership crosses over, especially over that many years. That's ridiculous. That's generations and generations and generations old. Someone's got to get that. Come on, pick it up. Don't. It's going to turn into like a pot shop or something. Watch. Probably. <laughs> the way things are going. The old fighting pots. The old fighting weed. The old fighting greens. <laughs> Have yourselves a great day, guys. I, I know that this uh, there is some hot takes all over the place in this one. If you want to weigh in on this or anything else, leave us a message. Again, that phone number for the After 9 voicemail is... It is 51... I got you. I got you, boo-boo. 519-772-4443. We'll see you tomorrow. The Oscars, of course, are our chance to honor all the great movies we watched on television. The big winner, uh, nomination-wise, was The Power of the Dog. The Power of the Dog got 12 nominations, one for every person who saw it. The the biggest snub, and I'm actually even angry about this, is uh, the unforgivable omission of Spider-Man No Way Home. How did that not get one of the 10 nominations for Best Picture? There are only 11 movies made this year. Forget the fact that... Forget the fact that the movie made $750 million and is still going. This was a great movie. It wasn't in the top 10 best movies of the year. There were three Spider-Men in it. The After 9 Podcast is powered by Tony Johal. Broker at REMAX Twin City. Your home sold guaranteed or he'll buy it. 
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.